Hello, welcome to our Bible study. We're beginning a new study today, a new series of lessons on the, uh, the epistle uh, from Paul to the church in Galatia, or as we call it, Galatians. Uh, Galatians is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament. And it's important that we study it because there's so much for us to learn. Uh, I do want to take some time, though, in this first lesson to just discuss the historical background and context of this letter. And the reason for that is not to deconstruct anything about the letter, but to help us understand the context of it because we're reading something that one person wrote to one group of people in one specific circumstance. And in order for us to apply it properly to our life and to our faith, we have to know where it fits in that dynamic. And we can only know where it fits knowing where it fit for them and what was going on that caused Paul to write these things. We've got to have a clear understanding of the background and the history to put the things that Paul is teaching in their proper place so that they can be useful to us because we are reading someone else's mail, so we want to do that. Uh, this letter, uh, as far as the time of its writing, uh, we're talking about the middle part of the first century, and a lot of Paul's writing was in the middle part of the first century. More specifically, though, there's some clues as to when it would have been written. A very important event occurred where some of the early church fathers came together to discuss a really difficult question and a problem that had been permeating the church, and that was the question of circumcision. Are Gentiles who become Christians required to be circumcised as the Jews were? That had been a point of contention. It is a point of contention in the letter that Paul writes to the church in Galatia that we're going to study. Now, when the council uh, came together to discuss circumcision, the Council of Jerusalem, uh, that was in like 49 AD, somewhere in that, 48, 49 AD. And that was a very important thing because they came to some conclusions and, and they came out of that and saying, no, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. Now, Paul is going to address that particular issue in Galatians. If this had been written after the Council of Jerusalem, then we would expect that he would be referencing that and making that point because it would solve the problem. He doesn't reference it. The context tells us that it probably was written before the Jerusalem Council event. So we're talking 47-48 AD is about the best guess we have for when this was written. So 15 years or so after the time of Christ, uh, everything's still pretty fresh. The church is brand, brand new. And so it stands to reason that they're having some challenges. Now, the challenges we see the early church having in different places we can learn about through Paul's letters because we see what he's addressing and we know what they're struggling with. Um, and it's there, there's some common things that keep cropping up in the early church. Conflict, uh, particularly surrounding relationships between Jews and Gentiles, uh, that becomes more of a problem the, the later we get into the first century. Still, Jews are the vast majority of Christians at this point but they do have to deal with this question of circumcision. So we see the relationship of two different ethnic groups or multiple ethnic groups. We see the questions about doctrine like circumcision and the keeping of the old law. That one comes up a lot. And then we also see false teachers cropping up a lot. All of those things are going to be addressed in the book of Galatians, just as they are in many other books. Uh, but we have to understand the context for things like false teachers, right? Because um, we think of false teachers very differently. Uh, people will say that, 
maybe some televangelist or someone is a false teacher. Well, maybe um, because it might fall under the biblical definition of false teaching. A lot of people then point to folks that they have different disagreements with doctrinally and say there's a false teacher. Protestants might say the Pope is a false prophet or a false teacher uh, or something like that. Look, we need to be careful here. We need to be careful putting that label because that's a serious label. It is not just doctrinal disagreement or teaching a different doctrine. We might have honest disagreement and it might need to be addressed sometimes and we might need to question and wrestle with some things we don't agree on. But that doesn't make someone a false teacher. That's a big accusation, okay? So we want to be careful with that. Every time that Paul uses the phrase false teacher or false prophet, he's talking about someone who is preaching a different gospel, okay? What is a different gospel? Well, it's the teaching of a different avenue for salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ is the good news. Only through Christ can we be saved. Only through the power of his blood can we receive redemption and salvation. And we do that by faith and it is given in grace. We do not believe that anything else is a part of what saves us. Now we, we teach baptism and we teach the things that are a part of an obedient faithful life as being necessary. But we believe the Bible is true when it says that we are saved by faith, okay? That's our gospel. That's our good news. That's Paul's theology as well. People come along and teach things different than Paul all the time, and he deals with them. We, we notice in some places he deals with questions about eating meat or eating meat sacrificed to idols or keeping special holy religious holidays or, or, or any number of, of things dealing with the old law or old... Um, old practices. Paul does not call those people false teachers and false prophets. He might disagree with them. He might think they're wrong, but he encourages unity and peace in those disagreements and, and, and knowledge and deepening our understanding. But what he labels as false prophets and false teachers are people that come to the table with something besides just Jesus, and particularly when they bind that on other people. In the case of Galatians, the false teachers and the false prophets are coming demanding and teaching that circumcision of Gentiles is required for them to be Christians. Uh, this is one of the first big battles of the early church, and that is what they're teaching. So he labels that as, a, as false prophets or false teachers. It's not simple doctrinal disagreement. It's when the fundamental uh, point and focus of salvation is shifted away from Jesus. Once we get away from Jesus and the question becomes Jesus plus something else for salvation, now we're into falsehood because there is no plus. It's just Jesus. We know that. They knew that. But others were drawing them away uh, in, a, in a time, incidentally, when, I mean, it's a new church. It's a new thing. It's a new covenant. And they are very susceptible to this sort of falsehood. So that's going to be one of the primary things that Paul addresses the conflict that's arisen and that has been brought about by false teachers that has led people astray, he's going to counter the falsehoods, he's going to encourage them to remain faithful, and he's going to try to heal this situation. Um, now, who were the Galatians? That's an excellent question because there is some debate about this. Uh, Galatia, or, or Galatians, the Galatians, were an ethnic group 
um, that were a part of what is now northern Turkey, all right? And they'd been there for, for some time. They came under Roman rule uh, under an emperor named Pompey uh, just before the time of Christ, okay? About, you know, the middle part of the, the, the first century B.C. So that's like within 50 years of, of the time of Christ. So we have Pompey, emperor. And, and uh, the, Gal the area of Galatia, or the Galatians, are part of the Roman Empire, and they have a, a king that is a subjugate of the emperor. Well, that king dies, and Rome then comes in and put, installs their own Roman governor over this province and actually expands the territory of Galatia. Uh, when they do that, they expand it into now what is the southern part of Turkey, and it includes places like Lystra and Derby. Uh, and Lyconium, places that Paul visits in his first missionary journey. So there is some debate, uh, and there has been debate that's gone back and forth over the years. When Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, is he writing to the literal ethnic tribe of Galatians that were a part of northern modern-day Turkey? Or was he writing to Christians in the southern part of the, um, of the territory of Galatia that was a part of the Roman Empire. Well, there were some changes to those boundaries as time went on. Uh, in the time following Paul, um, that territory shrank back up into the north a little bit as some things realigned. And so very early in church history, they believed we must be riding to the north. And yet Paul's history shows that he very rarely did any missionary work in the northern part of that territory. But we do know in his first missionary journey, he was in Lystra, Derby, Lyconium, and very likely was organizing and planting uh, groups of Christians in the southern part of the territory of Galatia. And also, Paul almost exclusively refers to towns and regions in the Roman Empire by their imperial name. So even though it might have colloquially been known by a different name in the southern part of what was called Galatia, he would have called it Galatia, and he would have called them Galatians, even if they didn't call themselves Galatians. He, he was a Roman citizen, and he used the Roman terms in his writing. He's very formal that way. So all of those things add up to tell us that this is probably the southern region of what was then called Galatia, what is now modern-day Turkey, and this was where the Christians were that had been perhaps converted by Paul himself, or at least the result of Paul's work in that area on his first missionary journey. So we have the time, we have the place, we have the background, and now let's get into the book of Galatians, the letter of Paul's writing to Galatia. Very common uh, Pauline epistle here begins right off the bat with greetings and salutations and identification. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. I want to stop here for a minute because Paul, in his letters, uh, loves a run-on sentence. <laughs> um, and I used to think when I was, you know, grade school age, I thought, well, we're told we're not supposed to do that. We have to have punctuation. And then I learned later on that uh, Greek has no punctuation. Um, and so when the editors of our Bibles translated and compiled these letters, they had to kind of guess at where the punctuation goes. Um, and fair enough, there's some long sentences from Paul, things I wouldn't want to diagram in an English class. Um, 
but he often identifies himself this way. Paul, an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent, one who is sent on a mission. And he has been sent by Jesus himself uh, to go and minister to the Gentiles specifically. But Paul is sent. He identifies himself as an apostle. And then he always gives a lot of qualifiers. And you can look at all his letters. He's qualifying this idea that he's an apostle. And he qualifies here that I'm not sent by men. I'm an apostle. I'm one who is sent. So if you're reading that in a literal translation from the Greek, it would say Paul, one sent on a mission. And then the qualification makes really good sense. Not from men. I haven't been sent on a mission by just mortal man. I've been sent on a mission by Jesus Christ and his father, God, who raised him from the dead. And I'm speaking on behalf of the brothers who are with me because he's traveling in a cohort uh, of people doing missionary work. And then the address to the churches in Galatia. And again, we believe pretty strongly that he's talking about Christians in the southern part of that region. It would not have been a part of the ethnic uh, body of Galatians. They would have been in the north in the traditional Galatia, but he's referring to it by the Roman empirical name, um, imperial name rather, and, and this was the place that he knew because he'd been there uh, on missionary journeys. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we have this kind of opening salutation, this greeting, and he says grace and peace to you. And that grace and peace comes from God. It comes from Jesus. And he affirms that Jesus is the one who has has purchased our our salvation our freedom from sin and who who did that by giving his life so there's always this affirmation of christ as the center of everything and that's one of my favorite things about paul um i tend to be a bit of a contrarian maybe a bit of a oh biblical hipster if you will i i don't uh you know i i like the lesser known new testament writers uh, a little bit, uh, maybe some. I, 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 all you know. Everybody likes Paul, and I want to be one of the hip kids. And so I, you know, I say, oh, I prefer someone else, maybe. But, but really, Paul, obviously the most prolific writer of the New Testament. And I hate to be cliche, but I love Paul. And one of the things I love the most about Paul is that he does not take his eye off the focus of Jesus Christ. In everything he does, and everything he writes, he always brings it back to Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And we get so distracted with New Testament writing. We read what Paul says, and we say, well, there we go. Inspired scripture, book, chapter, verse. This is what Paul said. But we fail sometimes to see that Paul is just pointing to Jesus. Why don't we look to Jesus for our answers instead of trying to, trying to find, uh, you know, put filter Jesus through the words of Paul? What if we filtered Paul through the teachings of Jesus, would that not make more sense? I think so. I think that's what Paul was trying to do. I think that's what he would appreciate us doing with his words. Um, verse 6, we get into the problem here. We're getting into the uh, tackling of the issue. And so Paul's going to call out what it is that he's heard is troubling this area. And, and by the way, Paul takes this very personally. You know, he, he planted the church in this region. He brought the gospel to this region. He converted the first Christians. He organized them. They taught others. And he left. But as so often happens, we start something, then we have to move on. 
and, and that something doesn't have the foundation yet and begins to buckle under the weight of other pressures. And Paul is taking this personally. His heart goes out. He cares for them. Uh, but he's going to speak very forcefully about what's going on because he's got to get them back in line. Not in doctrinal line, the way we think of dogmatic uh, denominations, but back into line with Christ. I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. All right. Paul uh, expresses a bit of indignity here. I mean, he's just incredulous at the idea that they could be turning already, that they could be getting, getting twisted around already and, and sent on a different path. I'm just amazed, he says, that you're so quickly running away from the gospel that you learn and going to a different gospel. And then he gives this qualification, which I think is kind of funny. Not that there's another gospel, right? He says a different gospel, but he even wants to clarify just because I'm calling it a different gospel does not mean there's legitimately a different gospel. You think it's a different gospel, but it's not. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you. They're causing dissension. They're causing trouble, unrest, unease, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, now this is powerful. Listen to this. Because you wonder sometimes, well, have we got it right? Are we sure we've got it right? Or are we following our own opinions or man's opinion? What, is there a lot of tradition baked into this? What is the truth? Well, listen to what Paul says. Here's how you can know the truth. He says, if even if an angel comes and tells you this, don't listen to him, right? Oof, that must be big. I would think if an angel came down, I would want to listen. But listen to what Paul says. He says, even if we, Christian teachers, elders, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he repeats that. Repetition, very important in Jewish and Semitic cultures to emphasize meaning. Now, what is that gospel? He's saying, if someone comes and teaches you something different than what I taught you, you need to get rid of them. Why? And how do we know? What is it about the gospel Paul preached that is so defining and so true compared to these other gospels that people are, are propagating? Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, Paul is heading off at the pass an argument here uh, because some, and this happens anytime there's a controversial opinion, people question the motives of those who hold certain opinions. Um, and in the social media world, they're called grifters because these are people who hold a controversial opinion because they're trying to get clicks and they're trying to make money off of it. Uh, and they call them grifters. And Paul, there were criti critics of Paul that would have called him a grifter. You're just trying to take advantage of people by stirring up controversy and, and fighting. Uh, and, and Paul is heading off that argument and saying, do you think... If I was going to try and become popular, that I would choose the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is inherently unpopular and, and, and in some ways divisive. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not divisive in the way that we're told to avoid divisiveness, but it polarizes people because it is so hard and it is so powerful 
and uh, Paul is saying, I didn't choose the easy road here. I didn't choose the populist path by, by being true to Christ. Um, and so he's trying to affirm the truth of the gospel, combat the falsehoods that are teaching other means of salvation, something contrary to Christ, contrary to what Paul taught. And then he heads off their argument and says, now think about this for a minute. If I was just trying to be popular, would I be teaching this? Or am I trying to defend Jesus Christ? Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He's recounting his biography, which, which we know if we've read uh, and, and been around the Bible very much. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age among many people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. All right, this goes to, to a lot of history. And Paul is laying his history out and saying, hey, I was as excited as anybody about getting rid of the Christians. I was zealous for the law. I was a prodigy, a legal scholar ahead of my time, um, a man among boys, head and shoulders above, top of the class. And I was, I, I was eager to defend the truth, to defend the faith. But that's not where I stayed. Jesus came and got me. Paul says, but when he, verse 15, but when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, uh, and I was unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Now, Paul is, is still recounting some history here. And he's going to give his history because he's giving his bona fides here. Uh, he, he's giving us reason to trust his authority. And he's doing that to show that he has never followed the popular path. He was a persecutor of the church, and he was well-respected and on this career path. And then God grabbed him and shook him loose and showed him Jesus, and it changed his life. It transformed him. And he never consulted with anyone, and he never pursued what was popular. He always took the hard road. He, he snuck around. He was careful. He stayed in hiding. He met with the apostles. He begins to earn their acceptance. And in chapter 2, he'll talk more about that. But this is important background that Paul's laying out. He's giving an account of his journey, how he came to understand the gospel and why he preaches the gospel, that it's not about him, it's not about his doctrine, it's not about his opinion, it's not about his preference, it's about Jesus Christ. And now he is going to take all of that, uh, that, that uh, zeal that he has for that idea, and he's going to pour it into these next few chapters 
to explain to them why they should cast off the ideas of man, the gospels of man, the doctrines of man, and return only to Jesus and what he teaches, that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith, by grace, and nothing more and nothing less. I'm looking really forward to tackling this letter. I love this letter. I love I love a lot of different things. Um, uh, I, I haven't ranked all of them. I've got a top two or three, but Galatians is a fun one, and it deals with a really unique topic that is specific to the time, but it also features one of my favorite passages because it describes and helps us to understand what it really means to be in Christ and to have Christ in us. And I will get to that one later. But in the meantime, come back uh, and let's check out uh, chapter number two next time. Thanks so much.